Man, all right, grab a seat, if you will, unless you're heading down with the kids or uh, somewhere else. <laughs> all right. Hey, so last week I made a, a statement or presented a fact that uh, um, if it was not for Genesis chapter 3, all we would need in the Bible is Genesis 1 and 2. Um, because of Genesis 3 and what happened in Genesis 3, we now need the rest of the Bible because the rest of the Bible talks about man's rebellion and God's redemption. Man messes up, God fixes it. Man rebelled, God has redeemed. And everything in the Bible, you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds and it points to Christ and the redemption that we have. And so even though God, we looked in Genesis chapter 1, and uh, in the beginning, God, he created. And uh, so God created everything in the beginning. And, and if you can believe that, you have no problem believing the rest of the word of God. And let me ask you a question. How did God create it? Did God go to the craft store and buy all the ingredients? Did he, did he, who made the ingredients? God made those ingredients. And how did he make the ingredients? What did he use to make the ingredients and then put those ingredients together, y'all? His word. He spoke it into existence. And that's why there's got to be such a priority on God's word. We own his word. We have his word. He's preserved his word. And when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you who interprets that word. The very word of God, Chuck, that we look at on Monday nights uh, as we're on, on, on Zoom with other people, the one we look at on Wednesday nights, Tuesday nights, and that's the word of God. It's just as powerful as the word he used. It's the same word he spoke everything to ex into existence with. He changes our life with his word. So when you hear JJ talking about, man, it, you get into his word, it's life-changing. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It, 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 it's not like any other book that you've ever been a part of. And so, man, he did it all by his word. In the beginning, he spoke everything into existence. He created everything. No one's been, no one else has done that. They have to use his ingredients if they're going to even make a mess. And you all make a mess. <laughs> you have to use his ingredients to actually even do that. Right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, you know, he separated the earth from the, you know, atmosphere. He put lights, the sun, I'm getting all this out of order, but we studied it. We, if you want to go back a couple of weeks, you can listen to a couple hours of explanation about it. So I'm kind of busting through some of this right now, but he created, uh, uh, all the animals. He created the grass, the herbs, the fields. He created, he created everything, put it all together. And, and on the sixth day, what was the special thing he created y'all? Man, and what made man more special than any animal that you could imagine? What makes man more special than, than even the earth and an environment and more special than anything? What makes man the top dog in God's economy is because he was created how? In God's image. Man, you, man, woman, this mankind, you are the only being created that has the ability to be God's icon created in his icon, in his image. And, and again, we've talked about this before. Ryan, oh, I shouldn't ask you. I was gonna, you. By chance, did you look in a mirror this morning? No, no, all right. Anybody, Gary, you looked in a mirror, right? No, Ryan, you looked in a mirror, right? No, you haven't. I, I, could, I, I, I was afraid because I could see your hair and all that. You just woke up that way, right? All right, cool. Be careful who you marry, Marissa. I'm just saying if that ever comes about and, you know, if you're good with that, you're good with that, all right? But I... 
All right, change subject here. Here we go. Now, <laughs> I think he's a good guy. I've known him. If I, no, we'll stop right there. All right. But Gary, you looked in the mirror, right? And when you looked in the mirror, what did the image in the mirror do? It looked back at you. Did it do exactly what you did? Yes. And every one of you who looked in a mirror, the image did exactly what you did. And that's what it means to be made in God's icon, in his image, that you have the ability to mimic God. When you're walking with him, when you're in fellowship with him, you have the ability when people, when, when, when you look in the mirror at Gary moving around, you were dancing this morning in your towel and everything. Oh, that wasn't you. That was somebody else. But when you're dancing around, that image was doing exactly that. Whenever you're doing what you're doing and you're walking in the Spirit, that you are the image of God. You are showing people who God is, what He looks like, what He acts like, what love is, and, and all of that. And so you are very, very special in that. And in fact, after he made everything in Genesis 1, and he said, it is good, right? It's good. Even when he made the snake, we'll talk about that in a minute. Even after he made the snake, he said, dude, it's good. But after he made man, what did he say? It's very good. Because now there's somebody who can mimic me. I'm going to give them the ability. They're innocent, and they're going to have the ability to mimic me. He goes on in chapter 2 and talks more about how... Uh, Adam. Adam was, uh, he talks about how man was actually even created, how he took Adam and took some dirt and formed it. Now, obviously, I know that's not how your baby, is that a boy or a girl going in there? It's a boy. He's, God didn't just fill your, your, your womb with dirt, and he's going to blow in his nose right as he comes out. <laughs> there it is. No, that's not how, I know that's not how it works right now, but that's how he formed Adam, right? He took some dirt, man. And I told you I had an old seminary professor that had a uh, a commentary on Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2, and 3, and it was called Bony and Claude. Y'all get it? Claude, dirt, Claude. That was, you know, and Bony, that's Eve, because what happened? Adam's there sitting there naming all the animals. All, you know, he's naming them. He, they're, they're coming two by two to him. They're coming, and he's like looking, and they all have a what? They've all got a partner. They've all got a helper. They've got to help me. They've got something. And, and Adam's got to be thinking, dude, I'm by myself here. As cool as this is, I don't know what I need, but who does know what he, who did know what he needed? God did. And so as he's there, he's like, so Adam, what do you think about my world? And he's like, well, it's all right, man. It's, it's all right. And God put him asleep because God knew what he needed. And now again, this takes great faith to be able to believe this, that one, God took some dirt, blew in its nostril and made it a man. That's what God says is how he created the first man. Not fairy tale. that's fact, all right? How many of y'all think your husbands could have been made out of dirt? I'm just, I mean, yeah, but he wasn't, all right? But anyways, um, and, and so what he did was while Adam was sleeping, he took from his side, not from his head to rule over him, not from his foot to rule over her, but from his side, he took a rib. Dude, how many of y'all believe he took a rib from Adam? Anybody believe that? Yes, dude, that's what the word of God says. How many people in the world do you think would think that's not true right now? <laughs> they think you're an idiot, right? But the Bible does tell us in Corinthians that without, it tells us that it's foolishness to those who don't believe. How do you have the ability to believe that man was a dirt clod and, and, and that Eve be, was created out of a rib? Because God gave you faith. Some people can't believe it. If you can accept that, it's a gift called faith because there are people who think this is foolish, but this is what the Word of God says. And if you can't believe this about the Word of God, 
you can't believe what he wrote about the gospel because you can't pick and choose which of the word of God you want to believe, which is inspired, which isn't. You've got to believe it all. And that's why we went back to the basics. So as Adam's sleeping, he took from her side a rib, his side a rib. So there was Adam, he's male, and, and then he took a rib and he created female. He created Eve to walk alongside him. So when he woke up from that sleep and he saw Eve, man, what did he say? Whoa, man. <laughs> yeah, her, his name's man, hers was whoa, man, whoa. Is that what you saw when you saw Kirsten, man? Yeah, every day you're just like, how about Fernanda, dude? When you got home, man, you're just like, whoa, I'm a blessed man. Yeah, you know? He said, whoa, man. And, they, and there she was. And now life was good and their purpose. So Adam had been put in charge of everything. And Eve was now his helper because he can't do it alone. Does that make him superior to her? Does it make him smarter than her? Better than her? No, they're different. They're equal, but different. And they have different roles. God has roles. Adam's in charge. So guess who's going to get in trouble if something goes wrong? Adam. You guys, it's the same deal. You guys who are married, God's holding you responsible for your family. Guess who he's going to hold accountable if something goes wrong? Me, you. And she is held accountable as to how she helps you in that. We talk, we've got into all of this because we're going to maybe next week get into Ephesians 5, the end part, where it talks about submission and that dirty word submission where everybody thinks that means barefoot, pregnant, and chained to a sink type thing. It's not. It means that God has given your marriage a mission. He's given you a mission for if you have a godly marriage and everybody lines up under that mission to do what God has called them to do. How many of y'all know you can't do what your wives do? <laughs> Chris, can you do what your wife does? No, man, you can't even come close. You'd be a, 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 a sorry mimic of her, right? How about you? Can you do what he does? One day he doesn't feel like going to work, put the hard hat on, go down to Fort Lauderdale and build bridges. No, God's given, he's brought us. How many of y'all are married to an opposite? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing because if both you were the same, one you is not necessary. All right. This is your strengths and weaknesses. This is not what he created the marriage for. He created for this so that you can leave, cleave and weave. In fact, as a pastor of 30 something years, I will tell you the people that offend you the most are the people that are just like you. <gasps> no, man. Yeah. Anybody have someone when they think of them, it ticks them off like, oh, oh, you know why? Because you're looking in a mirror and you're seeing their bad quality and you're like, you just want to get away from them before they reveal too much of you, right? We're attracted to opposites in this. So God put Adam and Eve together and he put them together to procreate. He said, he said, man, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. That's what I want you to do. And I want you to take care of this earth. You're the one supposed to be taking care of this earth. And if you decide to do it in a sinful way, a greedful way, you're going to mess it all up. <laughs> Look what's happened. Because ever since the fall, man's messed it all up. So after Adam and Eve came about, and, and now here it is, Genesis chapter 2, they're supposed to be living in a perfect garden, man. How many of y'all like to live in a perfect garden? Wouldn't that be cool? Dude, you just wake up and there's mist. Like, oh. Now, I'm not talking humidity, Gavin. I'm talking mist, dude. We're just like, oh, this is awesome. And here you are, you and your wife, and there's never a conflict between you and your wife. How about that? 
Y'all are being quiet right now. Nobody's uh, elbowing. There's never a conflict with anybody. You're there. Everything is good. But then we get into Genesis chapter 3. And what we learned, we're going to look at this again, but the serpent, who when God made the serpent, on the day he made the serpent, go back to Genesis 1, what did he say at the end of the day when he made the serpent? It is good. But you're going to see at the end of Genesis 3, the serpent gets cursed because that's what happens when Satan controls you. You get cursed. There's, there's not there. Satan is a destroyer. He destroys things. Anytime you use anything outside of the purpose for which it's, it was created, it gets destroyed. It gets messed up. So, you know, Adam and Eve messed up, and it's like, oh, wow, what a messed up. But God, in his infinite wisdom, had a better plan. Adam and Eve, they were innocent, okay? They were innocent. They weren't born again. They were not regenerated. They were, they were not redeemed people. They were innocent. They had not done anything wrong until the snake came up. And, you, and we're going to go through it again real super quick. But he came up and said, hey, has God really said all this, blah, blah, blah. And then they fell. They were innocent. And so innocent, all right, they were created like this duct tape to stick to God if this chair was God, right? And as long as you stay stuck to God, dude, man, I was going to actually bring somebody up here with hairy arms, man, and stick it on there. Not Selma, you. I'm just messing with you. No, you just, but Sarah, oh, never mind. I'm just messing with you, all right? You can smack me right now. Go ahead. You know. But anyways, so here it is. Here's you, and you're stuck to God. Now, that's good. If you stay stuck to God, man, how many of y'all ever tried to take duct tape off something? Chuck, how do you like it when somebody puts, gets a ding on their board and they fill it with wax and then put duct tape all over it and bring it to you? It takes you longer to get all that duct tape and goo off than it does to fix the board even, right? Because it's, it's, you're made to stick to God, right? That's how, you were, that's how Adam and Eve were created in their innocence. And sin separates, so as long as they were innocent, they were stuck to God. But guess what happened? The moment that they sinned, they peeled themselves away from God. Adam had a choice. Adam had a choice. Oh, do what God said or do what my wife said. And he chose to do what his wife said. So guess what? Now he got stuck to something different. And, and he got stuck to the fruit. He got stuck to, he got stuck to, um, excuses. What happened when he, when, when God said, Hey, what happened? Oh, that woman you gave me, that was sin, right? He got stuck to all different kinds of things. And so the more things you get stuck to, what does that do to your stickability to God? What does it do to it? If all you have is innocence and once you blow innocence, now you don't have very much stickability to God. And that's what they were. They were innocent. And can you imagine how many of y'all are innocent? Anybody here innocent? Raise your hand. I dare you. And right now you're a liar and you have blown your innocence. You're not innocent. So how many of y'all have blown your innocence many, many times? How many of y'all, if your ability to stick to God was based on innocence, you would have no goo at all? You know what I'm saying? That's us. And so I was thinking, man, in this, and God's really had this in my brain for the last couple of weeks of the difference between being innocent and being redeemed. Which one's better? Innocence or redeemed? You're like, well, if they were still innocent, they'd be there. But the best innocence can do is hope to stay innocent. 
It's based on their works. If innocence ever becomes not innocent, then guess what? It can't be stuck to God. And so that's what happened to them. They got kicked out of the garden, we'll see. But the more things you stick, if all you've got is innocence, you lose your stickability to God. God had a better plan. God didn't didn't want them to sin. God gave them a choice because a choice, when we choose God, that's the only way that we can show God that we love him, right? The only way we can show God we love him is when we choose him over something else. Like if Adam would have said, no, Eve, I'm not eating that fruit. And you know what? We're going to go to God right now and beg for forgiveness because, man, you just you, you blew it there. I'm not jumping in with you. You know, uh, you need to repent. You need to shred. That's what happened, man. He blew his innocence in that. And so, so now they blow the stickability. But God, in spite of that, had a better plan. He had a plan of redemption. How many of y'all would rather be redeemed than be innocent? Yeah, because innocence is based on your behavior. Innocence is based on not getting fooled, not getting lured away by the wrong bait. Innocence is staying perfect. But you know, many believers, their Christianity, their theology is based on innocence and not redemption. And that's what I think one of the things God wants to see before we even get into the scripture today. So innocence, this is what they had. They've lost their stickability to God. And if you were to keep reading through Genesis, dude, they keep losing their stickability. Because what happens in Genesis chapter 6? When Satan tries to change the DNA of human beings so that the human beings cannot be redeemed, they're not a redeemable man by sending angels to mate with them and stuff. God says, enough is enough, dude. You're not changing my redeemable humans. And he threw a flood in and gave people 120 years to conform or to jump on the boat. And who jumped on the boat, y'all? Noah got on the boat. Yeah. But who jumped on the boat? Animals. Animals got on the boat. They were way smarter than the humans who had the ability to mimic God. Animals jumped on the boat because they're just like, all right, I'm supposed to go on Humans are like, well, I've never seen it rain, and I don't think, you know what? There'll be plenty of time for me to jump on the boat later, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And God destroyed it all because Satan was trying. He's always trying to change the ability for man to be redeemed. If he changed his DNA with with the angels and had them make, you no longer have a pure DNA of human beings that God created, and they're unredeemable. And Satan would love that more than anything, but God's not going to allow that to happen. So redemption is so much better. What are the benefits of being redeemed? So here it is. You have the ability. Here's here's you being redeemed now. All right? So redeemed, when God looked, you have been redeemed. And what have you been redeemed with? The blood of Jesus Christ. It covers you. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God said, I will accept that as full payment for all of your sins. Your past sins, right? How about your present sins? The one you're thinking right now. Is he still, is he, he's, he's covered that. What about the ones you're going to commit after you leave here, Kathy? And you know you're going to commit some. You're right. <laughs> Every one of us are. They're already forgiven, right? They're taken care of. And that is spiritually speaking. They, Adam and Eve, with, 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 the, uh, with their previous condition of being innocent, there was no spiritual life. It was a physical life at this point. And God was there. Spiritually speaking, now you are taken care of. Is there anything that can now change your salvation? 
You have eternal life. How long does eternal last for? Forever. Can anybody take something away that's eternal? No, especially if it's not dependent upon you. How many of y'all are grateful your salvation is not dependent on you? Because you'd have blown it, right? Already today, I would have blown it. Through t- I'd have gotten, had to get saved at church three or four times already. But I don't. But what does happen now when I, I am created as a born-again believer to stick to God? That's what I'm created to do. But when I don't stick to Him, when I don't stick to Him and I start sticking my life to idols, I start sticking my life to other people, I start sticking my life to all kinds of greasy, hairy things. You know, I'm just saying, when I, when I start sticking my life to things other than God, do I lose my stickability to God? Yeah, you do. I lose that stickability to God, okay? And physically speaking, when I am sticking myself to other things, I create physical problems because there are sins I can commit that even though I'm forgiven, I still have the consequences of, right? I'm still going to suffer. And there's some consequences that physically you can't ever get over. But let me ask you a question. So, so, but, but, but are there consequences that you can't spiritually get over? No. In other words, I don't care how messed up you have made your life. Here's not what, here's not what happens. Um, here, you want to be God and pull those hairs off of there for me? No. <laughs> Isn't that what we think? Okay, I, I've now stuck myself to all kinds of things. I've messed up. Man, my life is a mess, but I'm a born-again believer. So, hey, Skylar, so you know what I'm going to do? God, please forgive me. And God sits there as we confess, and he picks every hair, every grease ball, every dirt clot off. And, and, then, and then he says, okay, you're new again. No, that's not what happens. That's what happens physically, but spiritually, you know what happens when you repent, dude? Scott, when you repent, man, you know what? What does God do with your sin when you repent? What is, what's he already done? He's already trashed your sin. It's gone. He wants you to confess it so you can get your relationship right back with him again. There may be physical consequences, but when you get your life right with God again, you know what happens? He gives you a brand spanking new piece of duct tape. Amen? We don't believe that. We're like, oh, no, this is still me. And, man, how dare you not forgive yourself if God has forgiven you? How many of you live guilt and shame from previous sins that you have been forgiven of? You let that still control your life. It may control your physical. It may have something to do with relationships, different things that you've got going on. But but the fact is, is that spiritually, you're a brand new person. You are a brand new piece of duct tape, and you got this old one back on you, maybe. You know what God would like to do? He'd like to see you getting things right with him and staying right, and he'd like to see all this junk from this old man coming off. He'd like to see it gone. You can hang on to it if you want. So my point is this. My point is, is that spiritually, when you repent, are are you just fixed? Or are you as fresh as you were the day you were saved? What are you? Scripturally, when you look at redemption... You are redeemed by the blood of Christ. As J.J. said, dude, Christ, the, re- the, the, the redeemer, the reincarnate Christ, the, 
the, the king, Christ, is up there praying for you. He's, he's the judge, the jury, he's everything. And Satan comes and says, JJ did this, JJ. He's like, yeah, you know what? I know he did that, but I already paid for it. It's done. I'm not holding it against him. Now, if you want to keep doing it physically, there will be problems, period. You can keep having those. But when you go back to him and you have true confession, what does 1 John 1, 9 says? What does it say? Anybody know that verse? If we confess our sins, confess means to agree with God. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of what? How many? Yeah, I'm a brand spanking new piece of duct tape. I'm not just the old one with the hairs pulled off. It, how many of y'all How many of y'all feel that way? You feel, which one do, does your theology allow you to feel like? Spiritually, how many of y'all feel like an old piece of duct tape that you just pulled the hairs off of? That you're forever scarred spiritually. You can never stick to God with the same stickability that you had when you were born again. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And you go study what it means to be redeemed. You're redeemed by Christ and not your own. In fact, you know what? When he looks down at you and sees your future, Dave, when he sees your future, man, you know what he sees? Perfection, dude. Now that might not be what you see right now because you can't see the future. He knows you're going to be just like him if you're born again. When you come to him, man, you want to know how to come to him repenting like that? Go to Psalm 51 and see what David, man, when David was like, when, when he totally just fessed up and said, I've messed up, no excuses, no ifs, ands, or buts, man, excuses, none of that. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want you to get that crummy performance-oriented theology out of your life because that's how it is. Like we've got to work our way back to God. Get on your face before God. I don't have time for that. Well, go ahead. Then don't have time for it. Get on your face before God. Get get down there and surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. Confess that you are wrong and he is right. That's what confession means, to agree. That I'm wrong, you're right. You know what an excuse is? There was an old uh, uh, revivalist dude named Billy Sunday. Everybody, anybody ever heard of Billy Sunday? Yeah, he was one of them guys that just, you know, preached, he preached hellfire and brimstone, man, back during some of the Great Awakenings. You know what he said that an excuse is? God, I have it. I have it printed out. He, he said it's, a, it, 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 it's like a sausage case. I'll, I'll, I'll get you the quote here in a minute, but it's kind of like a sausage casing for some, for a, if you can imagine a rotten sausage, a, a rotten garbage sausage. He said it's a casing to a sin, to an evil sin. That's what an excuse is. You've cased it with, a, with an explanation, but inside it's evil, it's sin. That's what an excuse is. Confession is, God, I'm guilty, I'm wrong, you're right, God. And guess what you get, dude? You don't get your old duct tape back. Skylar, aren't you glad you don't get your old duct tape back and he just pulls the hair and grease off? You get a brand new, you become just like you were when you were born again. Isn't that an awesome thing? Yeah, because you mess up a lot, dude, right? Yeah, I'm just saying, I've been with you, and you met, you see me too. We're together out there when it's hot and all that. Other, but you get a brand spanking new piece of duct tape. You're not just a, a, a repaired, restored old piece of tape. Physically, you might be. 
You might still be in debt because of stupid mistakes you made. You might still you might still have physical problems because of decisions that you made. You might have all these things made. The physical end doesn't matter. He might restore the physical end, but what's the part of you that lasts forever? The spiritual end. That's going to last forever. That's what he restores. Sometimes he restores that outside part, but sometimes you're going to see he leaves it so that we can, under, so we can remember what sin causes. So check this out. I don't want you to think, this is, this is what innocence brings you, and this is what redemption brings you when you confess. Does that make sense, y'all? Man, the difference between, which would you rather be, innocent or redeemed? Redeemed. God had a better plan. He knew Adam and Eve were going to mess up, so he made a plan for redemption. Let's look at it super quick. Now, the serpent, I'm not going to go over these first seven verses in, in detail as we did last time, so if you weren't here and you're like, oh my goodness, he didn't talk about the important stuff. Well, go back. We talked for about it for two hours last time, all right, or at least an hour. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field, so he's craftier than you, and so he can beat you at being crafty. So what's the best way, what's the best way to fight the devil? Yeah, don't talk to him, dude. Don't mess with him. Don't fight with him. Just follow Jesus is the best way to fight the devil. He's more crafty than any other of the field. Now, the serpent was good on the day he was created, but once he started being used by Satan, it was no longer good, and he's going to be cursed for it. Um, it said, he said to the woman, did God actually say, oh my, oh, we talked about this, but anytime you start doubting God's word is when you start changing God's word to fit your lifestyle. You ever get a verse in the Bible? You ever get a devotion? Like, ooh, wait a minute. No, wait, that's got to certainly mean something else. I don't have to change that, right? When you start changing God's word to fit your lifestyle, instead of changing your lifestyle to fit God's word, you're in trouble. That's what's happened here. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He knew what God said too. In fact, he knows God's word probably better than you do. And so did he actually say, you shall not eat of any tree? No, that's not really what God said. God said, dude, you can have it all except this one. And I want to tell you that whenever God's holding something back, whenever God, whatever God does is for two reasons guaranteed, and there could be more. So always when you, anybody out like, why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Know these two reasons there. Everything God does is for his glory, and everything he does is out of love. Know and put those two things and start asking God, God, show me how this is you out of love, and show me how you can get glory out of this, because those are two things guaranteed is in everything that he's going to do, including this. Did God actually say you should not eat any tree? God loved them too much to want them to eat off that tree, right? And the woman said to the serpent, she totally butchered it, whether she got bad instructions from Adam, because that's who God actually spoke to, or she started twisting God's word a little bit to kind of fit her lifestyle. But she said, oh, we may eat of the fruit in the trees in the garden, uh, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, not the tree of good and evil or the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree in the middle of the garden. And maybe that was Adam's fault, not even telling her really what it was about. Neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that anywhere. Or you might die. That's really how that, that Hebrew translates out. No, you know what God said? Don't eat it or you'll die. If you eat it, you'll die. You'll surely die. That's not kind of what she's, she's kind of watering it down a little bit. Aren't you glad you don't water scripture down a little to fit your life? Gary, aren't you glad you've never done that? Just kind of tweak it a little bit because 
Yeah, it's good we don't do that ever. And we better not. <laughs> but the serpent said there, look, he totally blew God off. You will not surely die. Who are you going to believe? Diablo, the liar? Or are you going to believe God, the God of truth? But again, when your heart is set on something and you're being run by your heart's desire, your emotions, and then your mind kicks in trying to figure out how to justify it all. And Proverbs says we can justify anything. Are you going to believe when the devil, when he goes completely against God? You bet you are, and you already have. That's why you need the Word of God. So that when you read the Word of God and it says this, you're like, oh, I got to go against my guts, go against my heart and against my mind. And in fact, later, whenever we do get to the armor of God, you will see that those are the three things the armor of God really totally protects are those three things because they get in the way of all our spirit-filled decisions. But the serpent said to the woman, you aren't going to die. And she must have believed him enough because look what happened. He he goes on and gives a better explanation. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that sounds good, but she didn't really think that all the way through. Because can you imagine, how would you like to wake up and only see good? Anybody? Would you all like to wake up and only see good? Cora and Scott, would you love to wake up and only see good? Yeah, and you got to wake up next to each other, man. I'm talking too, right? Only see good, right? And, and yeah, you guys are awesome. I'm messing with you. But man, we only see good. Who in the world would want their eyes open so now they can see evil? You think she really thought about it? But the devil's such a good salesman. All they could see was what, Ryan? Good. That's all they could see. But now when their eyes are open, what else are they going to see? Evil. And what sticks out? What sticks out, y'all? More than, If you have a, a good and evil, what are you going to see more of? Yeah. What a dumb sales pitch, but she bought it. Aren't you glad you don't fall for those kind of things? No buyer's remorse there. God knows when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. How can you believe a loving God would try to do what? what in what world would a loving God do this? Ooh, have you ever thought of that? Yeah, we hit, get hit with circumstances. How can a loving God do this? How many of y'all have been in a circumstance where you've asked that question? Yeah. How can a loving God allow this to happen? And in our finite mind with an infinite God, we can't always understand, but that's where faith comes, and we've got to trust that if we need it revealed to us, He will, but He will for sure in eternity if it's still a problem in our head. Bottom line is we trust Him. We know that everything He does is out of love, and it's for His glory, which ends up being for our good because we become more like Him. So look what he says, man, for God, dude, how could a loving God let this happen? <laughs> you call him a love, yeah, how, how could he let that happen? And again, I hear that more than anything. This is one of, the, one of the, the things that Satan likes to throw in the spokes of the bicycle wheels of Christians all the time. You're riding along, doing good, and all of a sudden something happens, and Satan throws a, how could God do that to me? You got to trust him. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good. Did it ever cross their mind? Maybe it wouldn't be good. Again, what sticks out more, evil or good? Evil does. Wouldn't you like to go back in time? Stephen, wouldn't you like to go back in time where you just open your eyes and it's all good? (laughs) 
Isn't that one of the things about old, they say old people aren't grumpy, they're just tired of pretending anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this stinks. I'm not going to make the best of it, you know? It's just like, yeah, you know, so old people like me get grumpy. Yeah, it's because I'm just tired of playing the game, man. I'm tired of seeing, I'm ready to go home. But it would be nice if all you could see is good. They didn't think it through. But if you've got God's word that says, don't do it, do you really have to think it through, Jeff? No. You have to understand why. No, you just do what God said to do. And so look at this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And this is where we ended last week that, that we talked about that she, uh, it's in 1 John 2, 16, 15, 16, 17 in there. It says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the things of the, the love of the Father's not in you where you love the world. You can either love the Father or you can love the world at any given point in time. Don't, uh, don't fall for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And she failed, as we talked about last week, in all three because she blew off God's word. Jesus succeeded because he listened to God's word in his temptations. You can go back and watch that again if you want to uh, on YouTube or whatever. But, but there, there it was. The only three ways you can be tempted, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you can overcome it by listening to God's word. You can lose if you blow off God's word. As simple as that. Um, but look what happened. She took the fruit. She was deceived. She took the fruit. So let me ask you a question. Chuck, is it any less of a sin if you do it because you're deceived? If you didn't know? No, dude, you still did it. It's still a sin. She was deceived. Now she offered it to her husband. And he ate. Who do you think God's going to hold more accountable in this, Adam or Eve? Adam, because he's the one who told him, do not eat of this. All right, she's not coming off innocent. You're going to see him in, but he said uh, he's going to he's going to be held accountable because Adam wasn't deceived. Adam made a choice to choose to do it his wife's way or to do it God's way. And I'm going to throw this out here: if you choose to do it some other way than God, then that way you choose is idolatry. Even if it is your wife, oh, I'm just doing this to please my wife. Well, there's idolatry. Not if it's going against what pleases God. He made a blatant choice to disobey God, to choose what Eve wanted as opposed to what God wanted. And God's going to hold him accountable for that. So he ate it. Dude, he ate it. Then look at this. The both of them, their eyes were open. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing to have your eyes open, right? No, because before you woke up and it was good. All those things you're going to see at work tomorrow that are not good, if you would have been there, you, it would have all been good, awesome, nobody showed up for work today, I get to do it all, uh, or something like that, right? It would have been good, that's the way you see it, but now you see evil, and Roger, again, what do you see more of? What's more blatant, evil or good? Who in the world wants their eyes opened up to evil, go ahead, take some sharp sticks and point, hit me in the eye, no, that's that's... They didn't think, but that's how deceptive Satan is. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. This is talking about their shame. The sin wasn't nakedness. They've been naked. But guess what? When they looked, everything was good. Now there's good and evil, and there's choices to be made. Before, they have to make a choice. Dude, that's good. Really? I just gained a whole bunch of weight, and I'm really fat, and I'm kind of gushy right here. That's awesome, dude. It's good. 
Now you make choices. Oh, well, this, the society says this is what's good and this is evil. You know, oh, society said, you ever watch the, the evolution of the Barbie doll <laughs> and the change of women's shapes and stuff? How, how many of you women, I don't even want you to raise your hand unless you really want to and talk about it. We can right now. But, you know, how many of y'all decide whether your body looks good or bad based on what society says? You know, by what's on Facebook, what's on, what's on social media, what, what's on the TV, what's, what society says, you know? And, and men too, dude. I'm just saying. You know, one day this could be called not the dad bod. This, this, this could be the mega dad bod. And one day this could be hot, but it ain't now. I'm just saying. And all of a sudden, what I was not happy with now, dude, I'm stoked. Yeah, look at this baby. Kevin, I've been eating some bull peanuts. Can you tell? I'm almost done with that 80-pound bag you hooked me up with, man. It's awesome. But again, they looked. They were naked. And it was all of a sudden it freaked them out. Did it freak them out prior? No, because now they got decisions to make. All of a sudden, now things not, aren't just good, they're evil, and they're not qualified to make decisions. How many of y'all messed things up making a bad decision ever? How many of y'all have made more than one bad decision? Now, if we put all the bad decisions together that we have in this room, and all the bad decisions of all your extended families together, and everybody in your neighborhood, uh, just for this generation, how many bad decisions are there? How, much things, how many things have been messed up? So you see what the curse is? The curse is the fact that now man is called to make decisions he's not qualified to make. And he's going to make a whole bunch of bad ones because he sees more evil than good. And how long ago was that? Now you know why the earth is groaning to say, please fix us. We didn't deserve the curse. And the snake's probably saying, yeah, dude, I don't really want to walk on my belly anymore. I'd really like to be standing up. And all. It wasn't really my fault. <laughs> the eyes, both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They, and, and look what they did. Here's the beginning of religion. Who told them to do this? Who told them to cover their nakedness? Did Satan tell them? No. Who told them to cover their... Selma, you're a thinker, man. You're a thinker. Who told them to cover their nakedness? They decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to restore my relationship with God, so I'm going to decide how to do it. Is that how we do it? If you're going to restore your relationship with God, whose rules do you got to play by? God's rules. You don't come up with your own. That's religion. Man's ways of, of a finite man trying to figure out how to reach an infinite God. You know what Christianity is? An infinite God telling us he's coming down to give us a way to reach him. He, it's the total opposite. Here it is. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. Believe it or not, I read commentaries talking about that these are not the same fig leaves we had, Terry. I mean, we have fig leaves, and like, yeah, it would take a whole bunch, but evidently the fig leaves were big, and guess what? They were prickly. Yeah, dude, the fig leaves back then, they say were from, from the fossils they found, they were prickly. So why, why? So yes, I have lots of shame, lots of guilt, so if I can be masochistic to myself and do something to, sh you know, then, you know, put prickly fig leaf bikini on, or, you know, what do you call it, a mankini? Yeah, I still have visions in my head, bro. But I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. I, I made it out of prickly leaves. Surely, man, now I can, I paid my debt and now God will accept me. Isn't that man-made theology? Isn't that what we do here? Instead, redemption means we get brand spanking new duct tape spiritually. Physically, we still have the consequences of sin. We're still suffering consequences from our sins. Sometimes they're gone, sometimes they're not. But spiritually, you can be brand new with God anytime you choose. 
You got to swallow your pride. You got to make the time. You get before him and you beg him and you talk to him and you reason. You just tell him your heart. You say, I want you more than anything in this entire universe. I want you to have my entire life. You surrender to him and, and you get him. When's it too late to do that? Hey, Chuck, when's it too late to do that? Yeah, except when you die. <laughs> yeah, once you die, it's all settled, but never. If you're alive, you can do that. And if you don't have that relationship with him, guess who's the one that doesn't want it, Emily? It's you. It isn't him. That's what he, he went through great painstaking efforts and details to make sure you could have that. So if you don't have it, it's your fault. It's my fault. So man, they were, they sewed fig leaves together and made, hey God, here's what I did. Why do you think Cain and Abel? Why'd God reject the one brother's sacrifice? Because they're wondering what he offered, what he asked for trying to make his own rules to please God, and then he gets ticked off at the fact that God didn't accept it. God blatantly says, here's what I want. Give it to him. You want to play by your own rules? I don't care what you're talking about. There's going to be problems. There's consequences. You can never have that intimacy that you're supposed to have as long as you're holding back on God. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord uh, uh, God among the trees of the garden. Because what? They started out as innocent, but they were now no longer what? Innocent. And that was the basis of their relationship with God. Aren't you glad that our relationship's different? It is based on innocence, but it's the innocence that Christ had that is applied to us. So, Skylar, if Christ's innocence is what's applied to us, are we ever guilty, bro? Never. Never. Tell your parents that next time. Never. You're not guilty. But does that mean there's going to be not going to be physical consequences? Yeah. Yeah. That's still there. But spiritually, you can have as much of him as you want. You can have brand spanking new relationship anytime you want. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. <laughs> hey, Jeff. You ever play hide-and-seek, man? We ever good at it? Yeah, because you, you're, you're, you're a country boy to climb under briars and all. I mean, Emily, you remember when, or Ashley, remember when you first got your braces and you're playing manhunt at the state park? And you first got your braces and she crawls underneath the mangroves. She didn't care about snakes or any of that back then because it was manhunt, dude. She's underneath there. Literally, somebody stepped on her face looking for her and broke her... Or, braces, and she didn't make a sound because it was manhunt. She's hiding. That's a good hide. But who can you never hide from? God. He's the hide-and-seek genius, dude. You can, Keone always hides. When he, All right, I'm hidden. He's like, Woo. and I'm like, dude, I'm looking in the usual places. That's what God, he's looking. You can't hide from him. And so they were hiding. They, they heard him in the, uh, the Lord walking around in the garden, and evidently it was some form that walked around. It's how God came to them. In the cool of the day, man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When don't you want to see God? When you have a innocence-based theology and you know you messed up. Let me ask you a question. If you have a redemption-based theology knowing that God accepts you on your worst day as well as your best day, that the blood of Jesus covers you, when do you really want to see God? When you messed up, especially, yeah, always, but especially when you messed up because you got to get things right as quick as possible. In fact, you know what spiritual maturity is? Here's sin, and here's conviction for sin. 
The more you mature, the closer those two get together. You sin, and almost immediately there's conviction. You know what the next stage of, of, of maturity is? Now you have conviction, and here's repentance, and that gets smaller. So what you want to achieve eventually is, I sinned and I repented. That's what you're shooting for. Not performance only because you know you've already been spiritually forgiven. You want, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's what David wanted. But the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? Hey, why did he say, Kathy, did God not know where they were? Why does God ask us questions? Because God wants us to hear our answers. Where are you? Okay, God, you know what? We messed up. Dude, we messed up. God, please forgive us. We, we know there's consequences, but Lord, we messed up. No ifs, ands, or buts. It wasn't the woman. It wasn't the snake. It was me. I messed up, God. Please forgive me. You understand that's what repentance is? Not what they did. That just causes more problem. It's more sin, more consequences. God asks us questions because he wants us to hear our answers. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. Who's afraid of God? People who are in opposition to him. Have you ever had a moment where, dude, intimacy, Kevin, you ever just been flying the DC-3 and your mind wanders because it's on autopilot? You're not even thinking about what you're doing and you just have an intimacy with God? Maybe not during that time, but I'm just saying, you ever just had that closeness? That Are you afraid of him at that point? No, dude, it's awesome. And that's the intimacy he wants us to have. I heard the sound of you in the guard. I was afraid because I was naked. Well, were they afraid before when they were naked? No, but now their eyes are open to see evil, and you see way more evil than you see good. And so I hid myself, which is stupid because I can never hide from someone who knows everything and is everywhere. So I'm making irrational decisions here. The rational one, the logical one, the spirit-filled one is to come and throw yourself on the mercy of God. Say, God, I love you, and God, I messed up. Please, please forgive me. He already has. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Now, can you go right back and live that lifestyle again? No. Skylar, can you go right back and do what you just repented of? No, dude, you, you change because that what you just did, not, it hurt you in a lot of ways. You, you've, got, you've got to repent of it. You can't just go back and live that sin again. If you do, you go back and do the same thing. But if you don't change your lifestyle, you didn't repent, and God knows that. Yes, I like that emphasis there. <laughs> One time we were in Jamaica, and dude, we had gangs coming and stealing all the stuff from our kids from VBS. They would even wait. And one time I was like, all right, God, you sure you're going to do it? I took my little crew and there was a shed. And we go over to the shed and we actually circled this gang. They all had steak knives and knives and stuff, even little kids. But dude, we circled them and I was praying going, and God, you show them that you are real. And I go, bam, on the, on the metal shed. Everybody in the world jumped, including me. But everybody like, and then later God sent a lightning storm that came and those gangs changed their tune. Some of them got saved that night in revival. So anyways, that's what that reminded me of. Y'all take that. That was all right. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was a naked. So I hid myself. How stupid. Don't hide. When do you need God more than ever? I like Gary's answer always, but especially when you've messed up. What do you think? Got to earn your way back to God. 
earn my way. Okay, now, God, I've shown that I'm really sorry. I've, 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 God, I just, I just walked on my belly on a hundred degree heat, you know, asphalt and rolled over nails. And God, now will you take me back? Is that what he wants? No. When he came to them, he wasn't coming as some dude with like, bam, look what you did, or some drill sergeant. He was coming as a loving father. Man, we've been picking on Skylar a little bit there, Benjamin, today, just because he's there and he's... Uh, but, man, when Skylar comes and fesses up, I mean, isn't that what you want? You love... When he messes up, when he messes up, just totally messes up, you may want to kill him a little bit, and that's the flesh, but your spirit... Isn't what you want for your kids more than anything is them to get it? You, you're, you don't want them to hurt. You don't want them to have to go through what you went through or what you know. And God's omniscient. So, man, God's coming in like, God, you blew this, but I, now don't blow my next part. And so look what he said. Who told you you were naked? What, have you eaten of the tree which I command you not to eat? Now, did God need to really know that? No, he already knew it, right? Why did he ask? Because he wanted to give him an opportunity to fess up. Yes, God, I'm naked. I realize I'm naked because I ate of the tree. I, li- I, I did it on my own, and I am sorry, God. I, God, how can we get this right? Surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about God. That's what's got to happen. God's not there trying to throw him in jail. He's not a lawyer trying to try to bust them in court. That's not the gig. God's like, fess up and get things straight between me and you. And if I'm harping on that today, it's because the Holy Spirit probably knows somebody in here besides me needs to do that. Is there anyone? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Gary. The rest of these guys, Chuck, me, it's surfers, right? No, I'm just like, all right. Or old ones, right? (laughs) That's That's where I'm at. Chuck's still hitting it hard. Man, look what he said. The man said, so why were you naked? Why are you, why are you afraid? Why? Marissa, what did he say? What's the first word he said? The woman. <laughs> yeah, the woman. All right? We're not going to go a lot of detail. Y'all have heard this a million times. The woman, but look at the second part. Where'd, where, Hey, Marissa, where did he get that woman from? So who's he blaming? Two, two people he's blaming here. God and the woman. Who's he not blaming? And when you confess, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But confesses agree with God, not saying, well, if Chuck wouldn't have done that, or if, you know, if Terry wouldn't have done that, if they wouldn't have then. No, I did it, God. I agree with you. What I did was wrong, and you are right, and I want to get it right, God. No ifs, ands, or buts, and excuses like a rotten sausage again, Remember? Your excuse is the casing on the sausage that's just rotten and nasty. Roadkill sausage. How about that, man? Think about that. Go, I'm, I'm, get, get you, go to Rogers. Oh, you, know, you do beans, right? Go out there to lunch, man. You got you a nice sausage, man. Oh, at the fair. And then you bite into it, dude, and it's like inside is roadkill, dude, that ain't even been cooked. That's what your excuse is like. You candy coat it. You candy coat the garbage that's inside. I had a baseball coach that excuses are, well, he said they were like a lot of things, but I'll just say they're like armpits. Everybody's got them and they all stink. Don't make excuses. Fess up. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and it was called her that I ate. She put a gun to my head. What if she did put a gun to your head? Does that now justify you disobeying God? 
No, it really doesn't. <laughs> Go ask the kids at Columbine, that one girl who stood up. She's in heaven, and she was celebrated. Look at this. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? Woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Because she saw it work for the guy. He didn't hear anything at this point. Deceived me, and I ate. So she got another excuse. Then the Lord said to the serpent, what did he ask the serpent? Why did you do this? No, look what he does right away. Because you've done this, cursed you are above all livestock. So all of a sudden, the serpent now used to probably stand up tall. We'll, we'll maybe know that later, but it didn't always crawl around on its belly. Because you have done this, because Satan has used you for this evil purpose, cursed are you above the livestock. So I want you to notice that the only two things that are cursed is the serpent and the ground. He didn't curse man and woman. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the ground. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Have you ever heard the expression, eat my dust? <laughs> <laughs> is that even right? Eat my dust. What does that mean? Eat my dust. It means you're a what? You're a loser. That's what it means when you say, eat my dust. You're a loser. You know what God just told the serpent or just told Satan? He said, eat my dust. You're a loser. And all the time, Satan continually thinks he's a winner. Man, when Jesus was born and he had all of the two-year-old and under babies, male babies killed, he thought that he'd killed the Messiah. Later at the cross, when he did kill the Messiah, or the Messiah died, he thought he was a winner, right? But he only sealed his fate, and he's the ultimate loser. He's a mimic. He always wants victory over God, but he will never get it because he's not omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Only God is. So who are you going to hang out underneath? God. He said, eat my dust. <laughs> Again, don't talk to the devil. You're not supposed to talk to the devil. I don't see that anywhere. But in your mind, just say, he's going to eat my dust. <laughs> not today. He's going to eat my dust. I think that's good. Eat my dust, man. <laughs> and in there, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. You're never going to be a winner, Satan. He's never, and understand, does that, MJ, does that bring you comfort to know Satan's never a winner? He's always going to eat your dust if you're following Christ. Now, if you happen to want to ride in his car, you're going to be eating dust too. Don't eat in his, don't hang out in his car. Hang out in God's. And that means repenting of a sin when you know you're in sin. Otherwise, you're in Satan's car eating his dust. I'll put an enemy. I'm going to put strife between you and the woman, between your offspring, her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Again, in this, it's an indication of the virgin birth because you look in the original Hebrew, it talks about her seed. Man has a seed, but it's her seed. There's going to be a virgin birth and later we're told for sure that there is. But in this, he says, one day you're going to have a child. You're going to have child. They haven't had any kids yet, right? One day you're going to have a kid, and that kid's going to be a Messiah. They kind of thought that was happening right away, because if you were to go to the next chapter, their first kid's name was what? What was the first kid's name? You remember? Cain, right? Cain. The name Cain means I have acquired. We have now a Savior. We're going to get back in the garden. This is going to be awesome. And then they saw that didn't happen. What did they name the second baby? In Hebrew, at that time, you know what Abel means? worthless. Yeah. What the heck did I go through all this pain for? Pop this thing out, man. Look, this isn't going to get us back in the garden. That was what they were hoping at the time. But he said, man, you're going to have seed from you later. That's going to be Christ. 
And on the cross, he'll bruise, you're going you're gonna to bruise his head. You, Satan's going to be crushed by Christ's feet, and he's going to bruise your heel in this. To the woman, look at this, man. We'll bust through this real quick because y'all, y'all have babies. If y'all have babies, you know it hurts. All right, <laughs> look at this. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Hey, does any animal have more pain than a woman during childbirth? That's something for you to look up, see what, see what even Google says. But I've read where women's labor pains are some of the most painful in the whole animal planet in all of this. He said, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you should bring forth children. Why would God do that? Why would God, who, who is a God of love and a God who wants glory, why would he do that? It's a result of sin. It's a consequence so when that pain is experienced, what's supposed to happen is a woman's supposed to remember there's a consequence for sin. This pain is because of sin, but at the same time, this pain is also reminding me that one day there's going to be a Savior, or in this day and age, that he already sent a Savior. So a God of love and a God that wants to be glorified, he has a purpose in this. How many of y'all wish y'all had known that when you were delivering your babies? When you had your feet up there in those cup holders, man, and you're popping it all out? I'm just saying, boy, if I could have been thinking about the Savior and thinking about that, but that's really the purpose. Because look at Adam. He said, oh, look at this. Your desire is going to be contrary to your husband, but he's going to rule over you. That's what in Ephesians, the submission, God gave your marriage a mission, and everybody needs to line up under what their poor, what God says their poor, their place is in that mission for it to be a God-filled marriage. And he said, I'm going to give you a natural desire to, follow, to, to, to want to rebel against him. In other words, his, your submission is not going to come easy and his leadership is not going to come easy. So let me ask you a question. How are two opposites going to come together and work together? As believers filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with submission. You want to do whatever God wants you to do. The opposition comes when you do what you want to do. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. Here, it comes down to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and you've eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat, bro, of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of, your, because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, you're still going to eat, but now you're going to work. You're not just going out there harvesting, dude. You're going to work. You're going to sweat. Gavin, you sweat in your garden? Did you sweat when you were a farmer? You got some good stuff, but you had to work for it. And what? whenever we're sweating and whenever we're working, whenever we're grunting it out, dude, man, you know what's supposed to happen? We're supposed to be thinking this is a consequence from sin. It's a consequence. And one day we're not going to have to do it this way anymore. How many of y'all are going to be awesome, just grateful the day that we're in heaven and we don't have to work. Instead, it's worship. Yeah. And he kind of encourages us to make our work worship right now. But we're supposed to remember because we're working so hard, it's a reminder. It's because of sin. And if you sin more, you're going to make yourself have more work. So don't work. Don't make any more sin. Don't make it any harder. That's why he did this. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth for you. You shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. How many of y'all sweat when you work? I mean, how many of y'all had to work really hard to, make, to, to feed yourself? There he goes. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. 
In other words, this isn't going to last forever. Chris, when do you get to stop working, man? Oh, yeah, when you're dead and God takes you to heaven. And then you get to worship, man. But it's not going to be forever. And that's why he did this next thing. He said, you are dust and to dust you shall return. I'm going to finish this super quick because these last few verses right here, just because I've already got you here way past time anyways, and the Methodists have already beat you to the restaurant. So it's all good. It's all good, man. Maybe by the time they're paying their bill, you will like walk right in and it'll all be good, man. The man called his wife's name Eve. And look at this, because she was the mother of all living. Had Eve had any babies yet? April, did Eve have any babies yet? No, but look at this, out of faith, because God said, you're going to have babies and it's going to hurt. <laughs> and, and, and so, and I'm going to work and it's going to hurt. So out of faith, he knew God would continue to allow them to be fruitful and multiply. So out of faith, he said, he called his wife's name Eve. She didn't have a name yet. She was Isha, like woman. <laughs> now her name's Eve. This first time we see it because she was the mother of all living. I used to look at that, and Adam's out of the garden. Now I got to work. You're the mother of all living, you know, but, but it's actually out of faith. She's going to be the mother of his children, the mother of the Messiah that's going to get him back in the garden one day. Little did he know it's going to be thousands of years later, but God's timing is not our timing. So out of faith, you're going to be the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. What? Dude, he must not like their fig leaves, right? That was what they did. He said, I need to provide for your salvation. I need to cover your shame. I need to cover your sin. And I'm going to kill an innocent animal, and I'm going to make you cloth from that. And that was a picture of one day Jesus Christ coming down and dying on the cross to pay for our sins, and he would cover our sins. No longer would it be innocence that covers our sins. It would now be redemption, something that can't be taken away, something that can always be restored, something you're going to have for eternity. But here, this poor little animal, can you imagine trying on a bikini there, a mankini, and it's still got blood and a little warmth in there, you know, made out of squirrel or something? I'm just saying. <laughs> a big squirrel, one of them flying squirrels, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Yeah, but it was a picture of what it would take to redeem them one day. Redemption is way, way better than innocence. God had a great plan, dude. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. He ain't good as us. He's, he now sees, we know what to do with good and evil. He doesn't. But he's become like one of us in knowing good and evil, which was never intended. Now, lest he reach out his hand and mess up again, which he's capable of, and take also the tree of eternal life and eat, that's what that is, and live forever. How many of y'all would like to live forever in these bodies? How, uh, yeah, uh, unredeemed, live forever. Live forever in these sinful bodies. We're getting a new body. Stephen, does that sound good? Are you ready for a new body, my brother? Yeah, dude. And he said, if, uh, so that he doesn't reach out and take from the tree of eternal life. I'm kicking him out of the garden. Now, Satan could come back and say, what loving God would kick you out of this garden because you made one little mistake? But God does everything out of love and for his glory. 
And you got to look at it that way. So therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden for his own good so he wouldn't live forever in this body. I mean, Bob, look what 20 years has done to yours, dude. I'm just saying. (laughs) Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Dude, I don't want you in here. And look at this. At the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. Cherub is one. Cherubim is plural. God was serious. You guys aren't coming back in here because I got plans for this tree. One day I'm going to redeem you with Jesus Christ. And this tree is going to be transplanted in heaven, which you can read about in the book of Revelation. And you're going to be eating off of this tree one day. Only difference is you're going to be allowed to. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That's it. That's all we got. So in your theology, is your, you have a theology of innocence. When you're not innocent, you look at God as some kind of warden looking to punish you, looking to knock you out, you know, looking to, looking to punish you, or are you redeemed? And you know you've been covered by the blood of Christ. And on your worst day as well as your best day, you're acceptable to him. And it's on that worst day you need to give everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. Where's your theology at? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. If you have the desire and ability to surrender yourself to him right now, what he did on the cross can cover your sins. And it covers it forever. And I'll see you in heaven one day. Especially if I keep eating all them boiled peanuts. But literally, it's a shame how often as believers we're deceived into thinking that our righteousness with God is our innocence or our lack thereof. Instead, we should be living in that redemption that we have and wanting desperately to become more and more like him because of how much he loves us. Let's pray. Father, that's it. Um, I shared what I was supposed to share today. And um, Father, I know how you've spoken to me about this. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word that's alive. This word that I shared today is, is just as powerful. It's the same word as the word that you used to create the entire universe. I pray, Father, that you would give people desires they can't refuse for righteousness Father, I think of even in the Beatitudes where you said, blessed are the pure for they shall see God. Father, I pray that we would desire to be pure, not just so we can say we're pure, not so we can feel like we have a good relationship with you because we're pure, but I pray that we would be pure and choose you so that we could see you. Blessed are the pure for they shall see God. Father, give us a desire to see you. And Father, if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, I pray today be the day. You give them a desire they can't refuse. They can't sleep, can't do anything without getting this settled once and for all with you. Because I've never met anyone who's given their life to Christ and wish they hadn't, but thousands like me that wish they had sooner. Father, save those that need to be saved. And for those of us that are saved, Father, help us understand redemption a little bit better and understand that it's a very different thing than innocence. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.